chapter 1, if you will, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, I realize that over these summer months, and uh, people don't quite understand how and why we can live in uh, a uh, place where it's 115 for 35 days in a row or whatnot, but we do, and I understand the, the, uh, the need to get out of town and to get into the cooler country and uh, so forth. So having thought about all of that, I, I want to just talk with you over the next couple weeks about, uh, and I just kind of titled this, What is this thing called grace? And uh, it, it's just something that you, you get to thinking about. And, and again, if you miss next week, then uh, that's okay. You know, you can catch it. It's, it's, it's not a, you got to be here every week type of, of uh, thing here. But uh, the, the, in 1 Timothy 1, there's a, when you're talking to people, sometimes people will ask you, well, what is this thing you're calling grace? What is it? And I, again, I just want to spend a little time with you just looking at some verses and, and may hopefully be encouraging to you, but at the same time maybe helping you be able to answer and to have an answer. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul here, he's going to be talking to uh, Timothy. And Timothy, he, he can, sometimes Timothy gets a little timid. And he has a little, tepid, he, he's a little timid when dealing with with issues, and Paul's going to kind of be a little stern, if you will, in the tone, but that doesn't make Timmy, T- Timmy, Timothy any less, see, now you got me thinking about he and I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Timothy, it, it doesn't mean that he was no less faithful and dedicated, he just had a different temperament about him, and in verse, uh, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. And again, the great proclamation we talked about last Sunday with the 4th of July weekend and so forth, there of, of the official declaration of God Almighty, the Godhead, towards the world today is grace and peace. Okay, And as ambassadors... We're to go out, and that is the, we're, that's what we're literally we're proclaiming, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, how can that be? Well, because of Calvary, because of the finished work of Calvary, because of his grace. Now, Paul adds mercy here because now he's dealing with the, the local churches and he's dealing with leadership and, and, the, and the subject matters and everything where sometimes leaders need to be reminded to handle their people with mercy. Because often two times, often too many times, we tend to, leadership tends to come in with a heavy hand, and and Paul's kind of, hey, you need to show mercy, just as God's showing you, you need to have that as well. And he says there in verse 2, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Verse 3, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, so this is way after Acts 28 is over. The book of Acts is over. The diminishing of Israel is done. Paul is on his way out. He's been, he's been let loose, if you will. He's been released for the moment, and he's traveling, and he's, he's talking, and he's, and he's in Macedonia, and, and he's here at Ephesus again, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That means that there are people there teaching other doctrine. For Paul to say, look, Tim, no, more, no other doctrine. By the way, if you let your eye draw across to verse number 10, the end of that verse, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, sound, life-giving, there's a soundness in it. Now look at verse 11. According to, here's the definition of sound doctrine. If you want to know what the sound doctrine is, verse 11, it's according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. If you want to know what sound doctrine is, you want to know what the doctrine for you today is, it's the, it's the information committed to the Apostle Paul. See, that's where it's at. It's not out in anything else. That's where he is. Verse 3, I'm, look, Tim, when you get down there to Ephesus and you're sitting there, there's people in that church down there now teaching bad doctrine. 
They're not teaching sound doctrine. How do you know? Verse 4, here's what they're teaching. Neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Wow, the issue here for Paul, from Paul, is to teach no other doctrine. Verse 4, uh, so do, I'm sorry, verse 5, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Notice the end of the commandment is what? Charity. It's, it's very fascinating to me when I hear people talk about charity and you ought to love one another and charity this and charity that, and they never read verse 5. Because what is the goal? What is the end? Charity. Love in action. We'll, we'll see some of this as we go. The end result that, that I can come and by love serve one another and come in and do free. And, but that doesn't come over here with you beating on me that I'm not loving you. See? That doesn't come from you getting into a system and working and doing. That comes from what? teaching no other doctrine that comes from a walk of faith here, a life of it. And he says, look, guys, the issue here is godly edification, and that takes time, and that takes energy, and that takes study, and it takes paying attention. And the end of that is going to be charity, that, that bond of perfectness, perfectness, Colossians calls it. What holds you together? You don't get that over here. By the way, when you get saved over here, you're a babe in Christ. You know who you're loving? Nobody but you. A, lot, a majority of the people get saved because they're scared to go, they're going to die and go to hell. That's very selfish, isn't it, when you think about it? Now, that's, the, that's a legitimate reason for, for believing, okay? It's a necessary thing. But you're not thinking about, oh, how can I go love my neighbor? You know, No, you're thinking about what am I getting here? <laughs> Save my own you know, backside. See? But then when you get in, who would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Now I get over here and I start learning, and guess what I begin to do? Now, you know what, it isn't all about me. Now it's not I, but Christ. It's joy, Jesus, others, my, yourself. It's Philippians 2, where I'm going to esteem and value others better than I do me. See, now we're on the road to charity. See, But look at verse 4. Look at what the, the neither giving heed to fables. You know what they're teaching? The no other doctrine? It's fables. It's story time. It's a 20-minute little story at the end of an hour and a half of rock and roll Christian music. It's got to make you feel good because, well, we didn't need our Bibles today, but it was on the overhead, you know. No, you get into Scripture. You look at it here. Endless genealogies, that's who's who, you know. I gave you a little who's who a minute ago with J.C. O'Hare, you know. See, but that isn't a focal of the teaching. What is that? That's a byproduct of the doctrine, see. A byproduct of the doctrine is that I am Pastor Richard Jordan and Chicago's son. Sorry, that's who I am. I can't change that. <laughs> that's who I am. Well, you just bring your dad up. All no, he's my dad. See, it's not a focal point of the teaching. That's what's become the focal point. Is was well, you know, my, you know, <laughs> I heard a guy one time, Bob Jones Sr. used to say, and I'm like, who? You know, so now I got to go look who he, you know, and find, okay, great guy. I know who he is. But that's a genealogy. The, no, it's here. What do we do? We're rather, the end of verse four, godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So the issue here of edification, when we begin to think about what is this thing called grace, where that edification process where the believer takes in the word and it begins to work and build up in him. Come back over with me to Ephesians 3. And it begins to, it begins to work in your inner man. And you begin to take the words off the page and you begin to build a house of doctrine, a house of sound doctrine. And that, that house then goes with you, and it's going to be where you live. 
It's going to be in how you live and how you think about things and what you and your family and relationships do. That's why you can take the word of God rightly divided, the grace of God, the glorious, unsearchable riches of Christ, and it can penetrate into some of the hardness criminals that you and I would ever think about. Save them. Justify them. Clean their life up. These are lifers. They're never getting out. And yet can sit there and sing amazing grace and blessed assurance and do everything. Why? Because it's as rich to them as it is to you. And they're going to live in it right where they're at. And nowhere. They don't live where you live. They live where they live. Because that's, that's the, 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 the empowerment of God's grace. And this edification process. It's laid out to us in Paul's epistles. You know 1 Corinthians 3 where Paul says, I am the wise master builder. I have laid the foundation. Take heed how you build on it and who you let build on it. Ephesians chapter 3, if you look here at verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word. The dispensation of, of what? Of the grace of God. God is now dispensing, giving out his grace. Well, but Rick, he's been doing that all along. No, he hasn't. Well, don't you know Noah found grace in the eyes of God? Grace has always been one of his attributes of his character, of who he is. And yes, from time to time, he would hand it to certain individuals in the moment. But here, what does he say in verse 2? How that, by, uh, uh, that if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me, Paul, to who? To you, word, the Gentiles. See? The end of verse 1, for you, gent now this is going everywhere. This is worldwide, grace and peace to all. Here, is the, here it is. You see what God's grace is, how God's grace is going to operate, how it's going to work, and how it's going to function, and how it's going to come in into your life and to, and to help you, to clean you up, if you will, was given to the Apostle Paul, given to you, word. You and I. Come over to Romans 16. It's in, by, by the way, there in Ephesians uh, 3, the very next verse, he makes an interesting comment, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't say search on the internet. Doesn't say search out Messenger or Facebook or any of that. It says what? Read. See? That means Paul did what? Wrote some things down. Romans chapter 16. You see, today, the issue with God is, again, not human viewpoint, not the religionist of the world, but what? It's what he said, what he caused to be written down. And when you take, I haven't done this in a while, so here's the real you. Because in a couple of weeks I'm going to ask, will the real you please stand up? Here you are. There's your head, a couple eyes, a little nose, a little thing. Got to have big ears because we're going to hear, okay? Then you get a big body on you. You know why? Because the Lord loves fat. You know, right? I was there. I, I, that's okay. I get it. Problem is, is yeah, fat belongs to the Lord. Problem is, wrong, wrong, wrong century. Okay. So what do we have? You're, you have a spirit. You have a soul. And here's your body. Okay. You're in Romans 16, right? All right. Here, your soul. That's you. That's your heart, that's your will, that's your conscience, that's your emotions, okay? The heart issue here is not the pump, it's the issue of thinking in your spirit, 
There's your mind thinking. By the way, your spirit has a vocabulary. It has memories. It has same thing. It functions. The link between the spirit and the soul is that mind. That's the link between your inner man, the soul, and your body is emotions. You see the word motion? This is, your, this is the vehicle that's carrying you around. Your inner man is made up of your spirit and soul. When you die and you go to heaven, you know what goes with you? Your spirit and your soul. Your body lays out here. I know when I die, I'm taking nothing with me. Yeah, you are taking stuff with you. It's called your inner man. That's why he says, I've laid the foundation. I'm the master builder. You need to pay attention to how you're building. That's why he's going to say in Romans 12, we are to renew our minds. We're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because this stuff is happening inside out. By the way, do you know how the world thinks? The world says, Let's go body first, baby, because you got to look good, be strong, can't be weak, can't do anything. And that depraved body then begins to work on that darkened soul. And that dead spirit, there's no light. God's Word. Comes in through your head. I'll go the notes. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians four. Hold on to Romans sixteen. Second Corinthians four. Second Corinthians four, verse three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now watch, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you hear the gospel, what's happening? The glorious light is being shined into a darkened hole. Paul pulls us back to, to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. And four, and that first day, and when God said, let there be light. Why? Because there's darkness, judgment, nothing there, empty, nothing there. It's without form and void. Guess what you are as a lost person? Void. Ain't nothing in there. Woo. Hey, happy, happy, happy. Glad you came today, huh? But what did you hear? You heard that Christ died. First of all, you hear you're a sinner, (laughs) and you need a Savior. And oh, by the way, Christ took care of that for you. He is your Savior. He, cried, he died for you, was buried, and rose again the third day. And all you have to do is do nothing but believe Him and trust Him, and you do. And you know what happens? That light goes in, wakes up that darkened spirit, brings it to life. The life now that I can come and communicate with God, God communicates to me through His Word. It reaches down into my darkened soul and it makes it alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins? Are ye quickened now? You're alive. Now he comes over here to the body and says, yeah, it is depraved, but we're still going to use it now and we're going to use it as that vehicle and that, that living sacrifice. And we begin to learn the old dead man thing, right? Now, Romans 16, because the nurseries will get me. Romans 16. Paul says, okay, are you ready? Hold, your, hold on here now because this is what's going to happen. Because when you trusted Calvary and you bring in the word of God, he took you and he set you in a manner. He gave you some things here. He's equipped you in your inner man to be able to come in now and to realize that you are fully equipped to handle the details of life, the details of the sound doctrine coming your way. He doesn't bore a hole in the head and dump it in there, okay? He says what? Study 
to show thyself approved, a workman. What are we, so study is going to be work, a little work. After the last hour, uh, we were talking about diagramming sentences. <laughs> Sometimes that's where the study leads you. Get down into the, it's not an in, it's an ad, it's not an ad, it's a by, you know. You've got to pay attention to those things. Romans 16, 25, now to him, and that's going to be God, that is of power to establish you according to what? My gospel. He's going to set now the foundation in your inner man. That foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. But how? How do we preach Christ? According to the revelation of the mystery. The rest of that verse is going to tell us. But first, you don't go preach revelation of the mystery stuff until you have what? My gospel. So he begins to lay in the issue of my gospel. And that's that first leg in the foundation here, and that's the issue of God's grace. And the foundation that's going to be built now, and it's going to move, and it's going to work in the edification of the believer, and it's going to start and center around his grace. He's going to lay grace as the foundation in your life. He's not going to lay law and perform to be accepted. Ephesians 1 says, if you're in Christ, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that means what? I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm holy, I'm adopted. I got all of these blessings in me so much that in Colossians 2, he sums it up and just says you're complete in him. But he can't just say that. He's got to get you the doctrine in you in Ephesians to get that in you so you understand that right here at the foundation, you are good to go. So when someone says, what is this thing called grace? It's what? It's the foundation of it all. Because who is it going to promote? The Lord Jesus Christ. The first book that you come to is this wonderful book of Romans. Romans 1, if you will, just quickly here. And literally, I just want to spend the last three hours with you would be great, but I know that's asking too much. I get it. <laughs> Somebody order Jimmy John's. Let's go. You know. Okay? I just want you to just get the flavor here of his grace. Romans takes you and I back to Adam. Ephesians, by the way, takes you back before Genesis 1.1. That's, that's just phenomenal to think about. Romans 1, he says in verse 15, he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When he says not ashamed, he's not talking about hiding over in the corner, don't look at me in red face. He's talking about I'm not ashamed. I know this works. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm preaching. I'm ready to give it to you. That a shame there isn't, oh, scared. It's a, I know this stuff works, so guess what? I, you ain't shutting me up. <laughs> For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And what you have there in that last of the fours there is you have this, he's going to start now talking about the wonderful riches of the exceeding riches of the grace of God in the Son, Jesus Christ. And he starts with wrath because that's where it starts with man. And, in, and literally here in Romans, he's going to lay in four blocks of foundation, if you will, and in the first five chapters here of Romans, he's going to deal with this issue of unrighteousness, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And he's going to lay out, who, here's, what the, here's what humanity looks like. So that you as a believer, when you come along and you're dealing with people and talking with people, you have the spiritual fortitude in your inner man to be able to identify the spiritual condition of those you're communicating with. Have you ever talked to somebody, and boy, they sound saved, they sound good, until you ask them where they're going to spend eternity, and they go, oh, I, I believe Christ. What about Christ do you believe? Well, I believe he walked the earth. And then you realize that, you know what, they are not saved because they're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
But man, they sure taste good or smell good, sound good. Until you do what? Hey, we, how, how'd you get there? Well, you got a chapter two and you got a chapter three. You got ways of, of building in this ability not to judge people, but to identify what they need. I was talking to a man one day, and he gave me a great, I mean, beautiful testimony. And I said, that's wonderful, man. I go, you're saved. Wow, wonderful. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not saved. I'm born again. And I'm like, oh, dude, you just ru-. He didn't ruin anything. He just has a terminology issue. Another guy says, well, I'm born again. I said, well, what do you mean? And he gives me Matthew 6. Matthew 5, the Beatitude, he gives me all. And I go, dude, you're lost on your way to hell. Well, how rude. You're being rude. And I'm not being rude. I'm being honest. <laughs> See. So what do you get here? Look, look over at chapter 2. Here's, here's the bottom line in the first uh, couple chapters here. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Well, look at verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Don't you ever think that the world out there is going to get away with anything. Their day comes. That's why he'll say in Romans 12 that uh, don't worry about getting even with them. I will avenge them. I'll take care of them. Your job as an ambassador is to do what I'm asking you to do here. I know too often, I know believers, good people. Oh, man, the world's getting away with it. They ain't getting away with nothing. They just think they are. Okay? And you and I have to have the spiritual fortitude to be able to look at that and say, you know what, that's okay. You go right ahead because I know what's coming. It's, there's going to be a day when their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. That pile of maggots, white little maggots, ugh. the souls of men. My job is to, to help, is to be the broadcaster of grace and peace. <laughs> you need a Savior. Verse 7. To them, well, watch. He's going to render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patience, continuance, and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Who's going to get eternal life in that verse? Those with perfect righteousness. Because to do verse 7 would indicate you have perfect righteousness. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing. You know what that means? You never have a bad day. How many sins did it take Adam to get, and Eve to, get, to do to get kicked out of, the, out of the garden? Just one. James says if you offend the law in one, you're guilty of all of it. You see, that's the problem. You know what man thinks? Man thinks they can keep it and be okay and that they're good to go. But what does that verse say? No, uh dude. If you think you're going to get eternal life in your own energy and in your own religious activity, oh, please think again. Verse 8, but unto them which are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. You know, you see, folks, that's where you're headed. Come over to chapter 3. You see, God's grace looks down there and he says, you know, you know what your problem is? You're a sinner. You know what your problem is? You're going to try to do it yourself to fix it and it ain't going to happen. So in chapter 3, uh, verse 19, I just I think about the Lord in the courtroom and man up to this point has been through Paul, he's been given arguments back and he's doing all of this back and forth and Paul in verse 9, he's concluded all in our sinners. Verse 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. I think about that. You know, here's God sitting on the, 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 the throne and he's judging, and they're just coming at him constantly with excuses. I didn't know. I didn't this. I didn't that. You don't love me. You never loved me. And all this stuff. And he just says, stop. 
shut up. We don't use the S word. Sorry. Stop. <laughs> I think about that. And all the world may become guilty. What did the law do? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of what? Of sin. What did the law say? Sinner, sinner. <laughs> liar, liar. Pants on fire. Whew, there you are. See? And what yet what does man like to do? Give me something to do, preacher. Give me something to do. Give me something to do. And he's like, no, no, no. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. But look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the laws manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all. It's available. His righteousness is now available to who? To everyone. And upon all them that believe. So what's the requirement? If I want to have perfect righteousness, if I want to have God's righteousness, is it made available? Yes. What do I have to do? Believe. It's right there. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely. There is a grace word. Woo. By His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And that's that, there, God's grace. What is this thing called grace? Man, he freely made available the avenue for you to have his righteousness. To save you from your sin and sins. To help you to come along and provide for you perfect righteousness because of what Christ accomplished at Calvary. Romans 4, just for time, just looking at it here quickly. You have this wonderful illustration with Abraham. Abraham in verse number 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So if I want to have God's righteousness, what do I have to do? Believe God. What did God say? You're a sinner. You deserve wrath and judgment and death, but I paid that price. Believe me. What did Abraham try to do? Tried to do it in his own flesh, had Ishmael and all that nonsense. Now look down at verse, oh, well, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. When was, when was Abraham's faith counted to him? In circumcision or in uncircumcision? Uncircumcision, Genesis 15. But what happened in Genesis 17 with the institution of circumcision? God put up the wall between man and began to divide out the people. So you have God's people on one side and the, the God rejectors on the other. Okay? Abraham, you sit over here. Abraham, you're my guy. Why? Not because you're such a wonderful guy, but by faith you did what? You believed me. You see, it was Abraham's faith that made him the choice in the matter. You know why God chose Noah? Because Noah believed God. See, God, Noah chose God. God chose Noah. Otherwise, we'd have been reading about Bill and, and, and his big boat. <laughs> Bill and the boat instead of Noah and the ark. You know, I don't know. See, what, you look at this, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, being, the state of be, right now, here's what's happened to you right now. The moment you believe, what are you? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that ought to draw your mind back to chapter 1, verse 18, when he talks about, for the wrath of God is revealed. 
So from 118 all the way down to, he's been talking about wrath and judgment. And, and then he says, if you believe me, we're good with you. And oh, by the way, you got peace with me. What great eternal security. In one little verse, whole doctrines of security, the belief, eternal security of the believer built on Romans 8. And that ain't in Romans 8 at all. It's right here in Romans 5. And he says, you know what you have? You have peace with God. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith. Note, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. So guess what? Not only do we have peace and access, we have hope. We've got them right there, right the moment you're saved. Then he says, and just in case you think you're something special, and don't think this, you know what you're going to do? We're now going to adjust your thinking about tribulation. And you know what tribulation's now going to do in your mindset and in your thinking? It's going to work patience, and patience is experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Why does hope not make ashamed? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto you. And, oh, by the way, I gave you my... Um, <laughs> Holy Ghost, that's the first time we've ever talked about the Holy Spirit here so far. It's been Savior, Father, and Savior. And here he is. And you know what? Shed abroad, fills up every nook and cranny. Why? Why should you have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude? Well, look at verse 6. For, more further explanation, a little help here. We, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For, scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know why you ought to have an adjustment in your thinking about how you're viewing life now? Because when you were ungodly, when you were a sinner, when you were weak, what did he do? He went and died a cursed death for you. Oh, I just don't have my way. I can't. Remember. You know what? Look at what he did. See, what is, there's his grace on display. I love verse nine much more than man. Could it get any better? I had a guy one time. Mo better. No, yeah, much more. Not just more. Much more. Being now, see that being now, we're not waiting for a future, being now justified, we're not waiting for a future justification, that's Israel's deal. It's where? It's present possession right now. Justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Boy, what a security stamp that you and I will never see the wrath of God that he's going to pour out on the unrighteous. We've been delivered from it. When? Right now. The moment I trusted him. The moment I'm justified. The moment I have access. The moment I'm walk, work, uh, trusting him by faith. The moment I'm rejoicing in hope. All of that. Verse 10. For if, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Whoa, what a great picture of His grace. Drop down to verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. You see, grace is going to come into the picture now. And what happens, and this is a legitimate issue, with a someone who's a new believer. Well, shoot, man, if God's grace reconciled me, took care of that, see? Verse 1 of chapter 6, well, why don't I just continue living in sin and grace is just going to do what? Abound more and more. And Paul's anticipating that because that is the thought of many. Verse 21, 521, that as sin hath, notice, reigned unto death, reigned, ruled, controlled, in charge, even so might grace, what, reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Grace abounded. Sin abounded. Grace abounded. Sin reigned. Now what? Grace reigns. And because grace is to reign in your life, now what do I have? I have eternal life. Why? Because I have His perfect righteousness, which is what Romans 2, 6 said. I needed to get what? Eternal life. So if I need perfect righteousness and I don't have it because I'm a sinner, but now I've been reconciled, now I've been uh, justified, now I have what? I have eternal life. Man, what grace that is. All that God is free to do for you because of the cross work of His Son. That's a much better definition of grace than God's riches at Christ's expense. That's just not enough. There's more to it. So Paul goes into Romans 6, and he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then he starts this education with some facts in verse 3 to 10. And he'll say, know ye not. (laughs) Verse 6, knowing this. Verse 9, knowing that. So there's some facts that you need to know about who you are now. Just think about this. You just came from understanding that you're a sinner How many people in this world today have no clue that they are sinners? They don't even know what the word means. They have no idea what it is to sin. And you show up and, hey, you're a sinner. I'm a what? Whack. (laughs) No kidding. So what do you got to do? You got to understand. You got to teach. You got to educate them. And what are you going to do? You're going to say, hey, now know know ye not. Here's some more stuff to know. So from three, verse 3 to 10, okay, he's going to lay out the facts here. And he's going to come in and he's going to give you the details of some identity. You have a, something new going on in you. You just learned you're a sinner. Now you're learning what? I got, I'm, a new, I'm a new what? I'm a new creature? I'm a new man? I'm, I'm a new huh? What are you talking about? I'm just glad to have sin forgiven. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be saved from the lake of fire. woo And now you're going to go tell me. I, and Paul says, yeah, because this protects you against thinking you can just go back to the life you were living. And there's a new life to have. And we have this identification, verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5 of this, of this co Conus, this joint heirship with Christ, and this issue of his death was my death. His burial was my burial. His resurrection was my resurrection. That's why Revelation in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he talks about the rapture, the dead in Christ shall come and, and go. And why? Because you have to, his is yours. There's no shortcut in that. People are, well, why didn't the Lord just come? Why don't they just come back with him? Because that violates Romans 6. You got, it's his. So he says, by the way, baptism doesn't always mean water. <laughs> it doesn't always, it means identification. The Lord was baptized by John and he was, John 3 says he was manifested, John 1, sorry, he was manifested to Israel. Baptism in your Bible means to identify, to set forth, to set apart. The priest, by the way, water baptism in the Old Testament is only limited to the priesthood when you study it. Not everybody was doing it. Why? Because the priest over there, that's what, but Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. That's why John the Baptist was doing it. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. It's time, and he's doing it. Baptism here, there's no water here, baby. This is a spirit baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, Identif- and we're made to drink of the one spirit, identified as members of the body. And he lays it out. Why? Because there's a radical change that has taken place in your inner man, inside of you. You now have perfect righteousness. You're an oddball. There's been a radical force change. By the way, look down at verse 17. Verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. You see, were 
time passed. You're not that anymore. What are you? But ye have obeyed from the heart that which form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. You were that. You ain't that. No, you're this now, and you need to have that understanding of that, of what, and you didn't feel it. You didn't get the tink, the, the tickle. You didn't get any of that. He says, this is who, Colossians calls it the operation of God. He comes in and he does this to you. And he says, here, you need to know this stuff. So he lays it out here. And verse 7, 6, 7, oh, man, got to go. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You see that F-R-R, that D on the end of free? We usually say free from sin. No, you are freed You've been set free from it. Doesn't say it left you. Because what tends to happen in our life? We tend to mess up from time to time. But we're freed from the control of it. We're freed from the, the ramifications of it. So in verses 3 to 10 here, we begin to find out about a position that we have in Christ a new uniform that's been given to us, a new life. And then in verse 11, the, four, the 13 here, 14, he says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, what, an ident- what a radical change in your life. What a movement. A great illustration of that is the caterpillar to the butterfly. The caterpillar, kind of ugly looking, cocoons out and comes out this beautiful monarch butterfly. That's you, your sin, you're kind of ugly looking. But Calvary, buried, resur- covers you, takes, and you're coming out now this beautiful new, new man, new creature. And you know what Paul says? Reckon Ye also yourself reckon accounting term. You get in there and you weigh the va- and you and you and it. This is what it is. So verse twelve. Let not sin therefore reign. See that sin reign the reigning. What's running your life? Who you are in Christ or who you were back there in the past? See, I know what happens. We kind of tend to like to live in the past. No, you need to live where you who you are. Verse 13, neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto the God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Wow. What grace. You as a believer, you have this wonderful identity in Christ. Come over to Colossians chapter 2. That you and I, we need to study it. We need to look at it. We need to get involved in it. We need to begin to understand it. No way to understand it in 45 minutes. In Colossians 2, verse number 5, Paul says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your faith, your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. How did you receive Christ Jesus? By faith. How am I to walk in him? By faith. And that's going to link us back into Romans 6, verse 14. We're not under the law but under what? But under grace. And that's a wonderful thing, but don't miss the beginning of that verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You know why sin's in your life? You let it be there. You know why sin will come in and and corrupt and do? Because you've let it in. Because in God's estimation, in God's eyes, you know what you are? You're dead to that. You should never allow that in. Now, we do. That's the trappings of of still being left here in, in our humanity. In God's eyes, he says, this is who you are. And you need to think about this this way. And you need to live this way. Because when you live in the victory that I've given you in my son, 
Romans 6, you're dead to sin, but alive unto God. Through our, in Romans 6, you're dead to sin and alive to the Father. Romans 7, we'll see next time you're dead to the law and you're alive unto the Son. And in Romans 8, you're dead to the flesh and you're alive unto the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that's a great thing to think about and how to live life. Because you know what's important is living life. Because I'm his ambassador. I've got a job to do. I've got a message to proclaim. So as we go and we proclaim the message of God's grace, and, and somebody asks us, well, what is this thing called grace? It's glad I, you ask and just love them to death with Calvary. Because that's what they need. You look around the world today, and it's not a pretty world anymore. By the way, it's never been since Genesis 3, just FYI. Those were the good old days. And you know what's missing? Be ye kind, tenderhearted. Well, you just don't know that. I, be ye kind, tenderhearted. You know what? Christ died for them just like he died for you. And they need to hear that. Now, sometimes you've got to read the room. And be careful. But you got to, that's our job, grace and peace. What is this thing called grace? Part one. Woo, it's Calvary. And because of Calvary, this new identity I'm now learning about. We need to go live in the reality of God's grace. We need to go live and have our thinking orientated to his grace. We need to take that position and live, a, live the best life ever from that mindset, where you are with what's going on in your day. Not where I am at. I would never come in and try to run your life. It's not my job. I have a hard enough time running my own. <laughs> Guy asked me one time, anyway. Okay, that's where you need to be. What, what is this thing called grace? First thing is the issue of Calvary. He died for my sins. And because I trusted him, he gave me a new identity. He has given me a new life to go live. Okay? Next time, we'll talk about how to live that life, the parameters. If you think about a baseball diamond, I'm learning to play first base. You know, put me in coach. I'm ready to play center field. Right? I'm learning to play. I play first base according to first base stuff. I don't play first base according to shortstop. I play, this is my position. My uniform is the church, the body of Christ. For the church, the body of Christ, now batting, zero, <laughs> okay? My position is this. Now I'm going to go make sure I'm playing by the right rules because there are rules, and I need to be in the right game. Because if I'm playing baseball according to football, rugby rules, first base is going to be a lot of fun because I'm going to get to hit some people. So we don't, we're, we're here, Okay. And we'll look at that going forward. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for your grace that you put on display at Calvary for all of us, for all of mankind. As Titus 2 said, for the grace of God hath appeared to all men. And it, you did that at Calvary. And then you gave us a life that we can go live righteously and soberly for you. And Lord, we'll just give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.